Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Mark and I call ourselves Mark and Jill 2.0. Okay, Mark and Jill 1.0 was when we were raising our family, but Mark and Jill 2.0 is in this new season of life. We're identifying the possibilities of the emptiness together. Uh, Oftentimes people have been waiting for the kids to leave so long that they've forgotten that maybe it actually could be different. It might take some work to make it different. Because without a doubt, you probably have gotten into some bad habits. You've stopped communicating about, you know, you're, you're not communicating about feelings and dreams anymore. And it's time to do that. Jill Savage joins us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. And I'm John Fuller. John, uh, some of your children have grown up and kind of they have, flown they have the coop. left the nest and come back so, to the uh, nest. What's that, yeah, what's that feeling like? And, well, we've actually had some nights with no children in the home, and it's it's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty cool feeling. We're not sure what to do with it yet. But Is it we're boring? Forward, no. No, not yet. <laughs> okay. We're well, Gene and I, we have one out and yeah, one to go. Almost and there. We're almost there. I'm sure we're going to have some of that ebb and flow like most parents feel, but I'm looking forward to it. I was just having dinner with the one that moved out, Trent, the other night. And it had been a few days since we had connected. I just told him, I said, do you, do you mind if I call you? Because uh, I'm missing you. And he goes, absolutely not. I said, can we just make a little agreement that we'll try to talk once a week together for the rest of our lives? He said, yeah, I'd love that, Dad. I said, okay. I just want to make sure because I just don't want to go too long without mm. connecting with you. And uh, there is that attachment there. You want to be connected to your kids, I hope, Um, not where it's overdone. But today we want to talk about empty nest and what that next step is and what that full life looks like. I think in part it does mean continuing to love your children even though they're not at home. Yeah, and this is a great season for parents, and uh, our guest can address this in a wonderful way. Jill uh, Savage and her husband, Mark, have launched five children, and uh, she's a popular speaker and author. They have eight grandkids, by the way, which is a wonderful part of their story. And she's written a great book called Empty Nest, Full Life. Uh, We've got copies of that here at Focus on the Family. Give us a call. It's 800, the letter A, and the word family. Jill, it's always good to have you here at Focus on the Family. Thanks for being with us. Of course. Okay, you heard that there. Uh, You've been through letting go of those children five times. I know. So, like you heard, I'm in the middle of it. Any advice? Ah, (laughs) You know what? You know, I love that you said to your son, you, you suggested a plan. You know, can we try to connect at least once a week? I love that. Good I for you. Yeah, over the phone. Because I think a lot of times what happens is emptiness parents don't, they're not forthright with that. They hint. They are offended that their child doesn't call them. And sometimes we just need to put the, the plan out there and see if they are agreeable to that. Now, I would say of my five children, I talk with them at different paces. Okay, well, that's good. You got to know your child. You got to know your child, and it's okay. All of those paces are okay. I mean, I talk to some of mine daily almost, and I talk to, uh, we have a son that's in Australia, and I talk to him probably every two weeks, maybe three at times. That's a little more expensive. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but thankfully, you know, even through Facebook Messenger or something like that, we can stay connected. Yeah. But still, you you got to find what works for both of you. Jill, you know what's funny with that? I think one of the reasons I got such a good response is you have to transition as a parent, too. When your kids move out, it's not telling them what to do anymore. Nope. And this is really hard, I think, particularly for Christian parents, because, you know, we still, we probably overlinger the parenting phase. Yep. And we're still providing advice and uh, direction at a time when they need to find their own way and spread their wings, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. Speak to that, that earning the right. I mean, if I, I think with Trent, if I were overindulging or taking advantage of the relationship, telling him what to do and continuing to parent him, he'd be less likely to say yes to once a week. (laughs) I don't want to listen to you once a week, dad. Let's make it once a month. Right. (laughs) And we'll see how that goes. But that is part of it. You got to transition your parenting. You really do. And this is hard because, quite frankly, we have been experts at telling our kids what to do. Well, we think so. (laughs) I don't know if the kids do. (laughs) But we, you know, it was our job to figure out what was best for them. And, of course, in, you know, ideally in the teen years, you want to be transitioning that and letting them make more of their own decisions. But it's difficult for us. And so I think that's one of the places that uh, parents really struggle making that transition. And then because they can't let go of it, the kids start to pull away more. And they don't even, the parent doesn't realize that they're contributing to that pulling away. Absolutely. And that's the sadness and the Mm -hmm. role. You want to be connected. I think it's right and biblical and, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to be there. Okay. Enough about my situation. (laughs) Your youngest married just before Christmas, and that was the last one out of the, you know, out Mm -hmm. of the nest. Your feeling was pretty good at first, but then something happened. And these are those triggers that can happen. I'm thinking especially for moms. Yes, this was big for me as a mom. But yeah, he got married right right before Christmas. And my husband and I just kind of went into the spring like... (gasps) We have this freedom and, you know, he could go with me on speaking engagements and things that we hadn't done before. And he went, he and I were starting to speak together more on marriage. And so all of that was happening. I'm like, hey, this empty nest thing is way cool. And then I get to August (laughs) and everything is back to school. And I'm seeing on social media, mom saying, oh, where'd you get the best deal and this and that. Right. And for probably with all five kids for 30 years, you've yes. been in that groove. Yes. Back to school time. Ding. Got to go yes. get all this stuff. Yes. And I loved that. I loved going back to school shopping and helping my kids get their school supplies. And all Jill, of a sudden. Jill, that's just a little weird. Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> that you loved it. I hated I that. I think it's pretty common. Where's that number two Sharpie? I could never mamas. find it. Us mamas love that. And <laughs> And I just, just was like, oh, my goodness, I don't get to do that this year. <laughs> and I'm not going to do that again. And so the grief was a delayed grief for me. Yeah. And it caught me off guard. You started crying. I did. I, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through Facebook and I'm bawling my eyes out and going, oh, my goodness, the loss of it was very real. You have a couple of illustrations of mind games or manipulations that we do. Uh, one you call stinking thinking. Mm-hmm. What is stinking thinking? Well, I you know I start out in empty nest full life, uh, really encouraging moms and um, and even dads. I, we've had a lot of dads that have read this and um, have said, you know, let's take a look at your what's the perspective you're looking at life through. Uh, what lies are you struggling with personally that are going to get in the way? of a healthy relationship. Huh. 
with your adult kids. Yeah. Like let's let's talk about the places where maybe the lens that you're looking through is maybe not as healthy as it could be and that if if we don't deal with that, you're not going to be able to walk through this journey of the empty nest in a way that is going to be successful for you and your kids. So stinking thinking is mm-hmm. don't think well, poorly. Be- uh, be careful about the uh, the lies that you're believing about yourself. Like, I don't have any value anymore. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's... Okay. Um, you maybe, the um, maybe it is a lie um, about, you know, I'm... I'm not good enough. I'm not anything yeah. enough. Let me let me ask you this in that regard, that stinking thinking. And I appreciate that kabong you just gave me. It was a, but you can also begin to ruminate on what you could have done better. Yep. I mean, we only get to do parenting like one time, right? Right. We, we have two kids. We have four kids, whatever. Yeah. But you kind of go through it. It doesn't come with a manual. You no. hopefully write or call focus on the family to get some help. But at the end of it, now that your kids are leaving, you're going, you know what? If we would have handled yep. that situation oh differently, what do you do with that emotionally? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I started to write Empty Nest Full Life, I went back to my own journey. And one of the things in my journey, I was struggling. It was this August date, you know, when I'm, I'm struggling with it. And God takes me to the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's the set of verses that are, there's a season for everything, a time for, yep. a time to laugh, a time to cry. And I happened to be reading um, uh, the message version. And it said, there is a time to let go and a time to hold on. Huh. And I went, oh my goodness. Lord, that is something I really need to understand. What do I need to let go of and what do I need to hold on to in this season of life? So I began to journal that, you know, what do I need to let go of? And uh, God brought me uh, a handful of things to let go of. And one of the things was let go of guilt. Yeah. Let go of guilt. You You can't redo it. You can't. And so what I have had to do is I've had to tell myself, Jill, you did the best that you could with the knowledge that you had and the experience that you had at that point. Yeah, I'm a different person now. If I went back and parented now, I'd do some things mm-hmm. differently. There might be room to talk with that adult child yep. and say, okay, I've been thinking about it since yep. you've left. You know, I've thought about the years that God gave us together. And if I could do a few things differently, yep. these are the two or three things I might have done differently. What do you think? And they might say, you're absolutely right. Yes. (laughs) Or they might say, well, those are good, but I got two or three others. I don't know. They sure might have. But just to open that dialogue up, because really, you know, what's really good is you're preparing them for being a parent as well. Yes. You know, you're still parenting, but in a very indirect way. And there's nothing wrong with even apologizing to them directly. All right. Perfection infection, another mind game we play with ourselves. What's perfection infection? I like your rhyming here. Well, the perfection infection, I actually started talking about that in my No More Perfect Moms book. It's the first time I really dug into that because the perfection infection is when we have unrealistic expectations of ourselves and we unfairly compare ourselves to others. Right. Okay. And man, if we don't grab hold of this perfection infection and start to kick it out of our life, um, then it will wreak havoc. It will drive that guilt 
you know, yeah. it will fuel it and, um, and, and it will hold us back instead of moving us forward. Jill, something I've observed, and again, it's a generalization, so I apologize on the 80-20 rule, but I think generally moms tend to be fear and control. I call mm-hmm. it the curse of Eve. You know, when their fear goes up because the kids may not be yeah. doing well in school or they're hanging out with the wrong friends or just something, that fear in a mom goes up yep. and then the only lever is control. Yep. So she jumps to that she does. approach. And, you know, Gene and I have talked nest. a lot about that. And this is, you know, just prior to empty nest, perhaps with teenagers. Yeah. And I just think teenage boys are a great example. That's my experience. And I, mm-hmm. I just, I observe that so profoundly, uh, that fear and control. And the irony is you got to let off their oxygen hose. You, you got to let them experience life. They're going to make mistakes. You got to embrace that and know that's going to happen and pray. Yes. But speak to fear and control, in a, particularly in a mom's heart. Yeah, it's huge for us. And it really falls under a, a couple of the things that I talk about needing to let go of. Let go of opinions and then let go of your child's problems. Because that's where fear and control yeah. really come in. And so one of the things I talk about in uh, Empty Nestful Life is I talk about, um, I, I make a little statement, but I'll tell you what, I preach this statement to myself all the time. Pray, don't say. Ooh. <laughs> Pray. That's don't a discipline. Say. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> when that fear and control want to come in, I want to make commentary on their life. I want to tell them what they need to be doing. I want to speak to things that I feel are out of balance in their life. And that's not my job anymore. In fact, in the book, I think you call it the Keep It Shut Club. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we got to learn how to keep it shut. And yeah. man, that is hard yes. because we've been making commentary and we've been giving verbal direction for 20 some years, right? And you need a little grace to know you got a time period to do that, but you need to get there as quickly as you can with your 20 somethings you or you won't have a relationship with them. You're right. Because they, they don't want to hang in that. Yeah. I was talking to our executive producer, uh, Rob Kirkpatrick, earlier. And I mentioned a financial decision one of my kids is making, and he said, well, they're out of the house. Is it going to affect your finances? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, not your problem. Yes. I thought that was months. really good wisdom there. I love that. Yeah. If it's yes. not, If it's their thing, let them do it and keep it shut. You yeah. know, a good example in the book, you mentioned this, I think when your son came home with a man bun. <laughs> <laughs> and it shocked you because he had not consulted you. I yeah. mean, this is so relevant to all of us. Oh, the, my goodness. The appearance issue, you know. Right. Whatever that might be, fill in the blank. But, man, you did not talk to me about that. I would never have told you to do that, right? <laughs> okay, I can hear it. Well, and, you know, I mean, that falls under two things that we need to let go of. One is let go of expectations. You Ooh. need to let go of expecting to know things that you would have known before. Like, if he was growing his hair out, I would have known it. Right. Because he would have been under my roof. But at that point, he was away at college and I didn't know we hadn't seen each other for several months. And I didn't realize that. Same thing with facial hair, you know, growing a beard. And I was like, wait a minute, when did you decide to do that? And I felt left out (laughs) because I didn't know those things. So that's where we got to let go of expectations. But also you got to let go of idols because your child's appearance may be an idol to you Hmm. Ooh, or behavior. Yep. Because <laughs> they're More representing choice. me. Yes. Yes. And man, that is hard. It's hard for us to admit that. But 
the truth is we all struggle with that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and I, not that his man, but I worried about that. I got a daughter that, you know, is always changing her hair color and we're not talking about blonde and brunette. It's purple and pink and, and yeah. blue, you know, and I really, I, it used to bother me at one point she had dreadlocks and it bothered me because I didn't, I mean, when we came right down to it, it was an idol. I didn't feel like Jill, it represented. What kind well. of mother are you? Exactly. That's <laughs> what. When you worry about what people right. will think, and when you worry about what people will think, you—that's your red flag that you probably have. An uh, idol. Especially on stuff that may not matter that much. Nope. You got to discern that. You're the adult. Yes. This focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Jill, it's summer going, yeah, that's funny, hair color, hair buns. What about the more serious stuff? So let's ask that one. You covered mm-hmm. it in the book. You have a son mm-hmm. that uh, you know confessed to you a same-sex attraction. Very common right now. Focus mm-hmm. on the Family, our counseling department. Those issues of non-traditional sexual experimentation, whatever you want to call it, uh, those calls are rising here at Focus on the Family. Yes, More Christian are. parents are dealing with that issue, either in their parenting of adult children or grandparenting. Yes. And how did you manage that with your son? Yeah. Well, you know, what I've come to learn is that accepting your child does not mean agreeing with them. And uh, our son needs us to accept him. The accept his reality of his struggles. He may not perceive them as struggles, but to accept sure. um, that reality in his life. But that doesn't mean agreeing with. And I think that that is a place that we as parents do struggle because we feel like if I accept it, then I'm saying it's okay. But, um, you know, one of the things our son said to us at one point uh, is he said, you guys don't agree with me, but you love me. So you, you achieved no it. no idea yeah. how many of my gay friends yeah. don't have that from their Christian families. Right. So yes, so he stated right there, he knows that our acceptance doesn't mean agreeing with. We've had that conversation, sure. but he still knows that he belongs. He's a part of our yeah. family. We love him. And I think that is the place where we have to, you know, we have to begin to maybe make some switches in our thinking as parents. Our, our adult kids will make decisions we will not agree with, yeah. but they still need us. 
to love them. They still need to know that they belong in our family. What does that sound like? What is the analogy of that? Oh, maybe how God loves us, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. That he loves mm-hmm. us, even though he won't agree with decisions we make. And, and, you know, the parallel is so striking. And I get that, but I applaud the fact that you're going to hang on to loving your children, which is what the Lord does for each one of us. He mm-hmm. sure you does. You know, the other thing, too, is when relationship is broken, it, it, it severs the ability to, for God to work through you. And you never know where a person's going to go. You don't yes. know where your son will be or anybody else a year from now, 10 years from now. Yes. 30 years from now. And uh, I, I just think it's so critical to keep the relationship I going without, you know, giving credence to the behavior. And we get all that. But I don't know why we struggle as Christians seeing that reality in our own relationship with the Father. Right. <laughs> it's right. amazing. Um, lovingly detaching. I think we need to cover that. And mm-hmm. we touched on it. But let's be more direct. Uh, yeah. That advice for the empty nester in process how they can lovingly detach. And... Well, and that one is really has a lot to do with detaching from your child's problems. Because as parents, we still want to scoop in and fix it. Oh, yeah. You know, we've been fixing it for them for a long time, and and we want to scoop in. And that, uh, you know, I have a, a my friend Brenda Yoder uh, says, don't steal the struggle from your kids. Yeah. And I Boy, love... Boy, that's hard to do. Oh, but you're absolutely right. Don't steal the struggle. And huh. um, and so lovingly detaching is when we, uh, we, we have to let go of their problems and recognize it is their problems. They're not our problems. And it came out of a really dark season for us. We have um, a, an adopted son that has had a lot of mental health issues, and he's had several suicide attempts. And uh, mm. I said at one point, I felt like, he hijacked our lives all the time. Like we would just get ready to leave town and he'd have a suicide attempt. And so it was like, you know, oh my, what do we do with this? And a friend of mine who had been ahead of me on the mental health journey challenged me. And she said, Jill, the next time that happens, I want to encourage you to go to the hospital, to pray over your son, to tell him how much you love him to give him a kiss on the cheek and to walk out the door 15 minutes later and return to your life. And I was like, I can't do that. And she's like, you have to do that. Well, it sounds harsh. It, it sounds, sounds cold. harsh, but he has to grab hold of his problems. I can't fix them yeah. for him. Yeah. So he needs to know that he's loved and he's supported and he's encouraged, but I can't fix those problems. And that's what lovingly detaching looks like, is you are lovingly detaching from their problems. They are not your problems. Yeah. And I think at the end here, I think this would be the right question to land on for that emptiness couple. Okay, now you look up and you hopefully ask the Lord, what's the new mission field? What yeah. I've done the best job I can do with the kids you've given me, but they're gone. Now what do you want me to do, Lord? Yes. And that's the hold on part. That's that hold on part. And I absolutely love that because it really, um, it it casts a vision for what is yet to come. And it comes from Isaiah 43, 19 that says this, be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. 
don't you see it? Yes. That's the excitement of the full life, that the possibility of something new that's right around the corner. Yeah. And um, God does have a new mission field for you. And I don't know what that is, but I know it's there. <laughs> Jill, I remember reading an article in Wall Street Journal, I think it was, where it talked about the graying of divorce and the fastest growth of divorce being empty nesters. Yeah. Uh, typically, they said, because moms turn and say, wow, my whole identity is now over. It was raising the kids, getting the kids launched. Um, you know, even if they're doing the superhuman job of holding down a job, and raising the kids. It's just different. And she looks at her husband and says, I really don't know you. And actually, those filing for divorce in the empty nest situation are more women than men. Mm -hmm. So it really does point to that, although both are filing. Speak to that lostness, if I could call it that, the fact that you've done the job and now you're just, wow, what are we about? Right. Well, I think a lot of times we've stayed together for the sake of the kids. Right. You know, right. and now, OK, w- the kids are, are gone and um, I don't want to do this anymore. And we're missing the opportunity. You know, Mark and I call ourselves in, in this emptiness season of life. And we had a marriage crisis that we had to get to the other side of. But we call ourselves Mark and Jill 2.0. OK, Mark and Jill 1.0 uh, was uh, when we were raising our family. It was before our crisis. But Mark and Jill 2.0 is in this new season of life. Um, it's it, we're, we're identifying the possibilities of the emptiness together. Yeah. And so I think that uh, oftentimes people have been waiting for the kids to leave so long that they've forgotten that maybe it actually could be different. It might take some work to make it different because without a doubt, you probably have gotten into some ruts. You've gotten into some bad habits. You've stopped communicating about, you know, you're you're not communicating about feelings and dreams anymore. And it's time to do that. Yeah. Jill, this has been terrific. And thank you once again for sharing your heart and empty nest woes. (laughs) <laughs> and victories uh, with us. And, you know, again, as a father who's in the middle of it, I'm so grateful for those insights and those ways to redirect my energy and to help, you know, talk about it with Gene so we have a game plan. And, John, you too with, uh, you know, being right, right at the end of on it. The cusp, <laughs> right on the cuff here. So. It's, it's a good time of life. It is, it is a good and time And we shouldn't regret sweet. it. And, uh, you know, just use that time to love your kids, continue to love your kids. Yep. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. And as the dad of uh, Mostly Empty Nest, I'm so thankful for Jill's insight today on Focus on the Family. It really is some rock-solid advice and so necessary for uh, that milestone transition. And I trust you've been encouraged, especially if you're facing or you're in the middle of your children launching from your home. This reminder, Jill's book is called Empty Nest, Full Life, and it is rich with great stories like the ones you've heard today. And We'd love to send you a copy of that book as our way of saying thank you for your generous financial support of any amount to Focus on the Family today. Donate and get Empty Nest Full Life when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. I can't help but think that God has created us with such strength and powers. He has placed His Spirit within us to live in this dark world. And the church is walking around terrified Mm. of cats when Jesus is saying, there is a lion within you that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now live in love and stop being driven by fear. That's Kevin Thompson, and he's our guest today on Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, here's a billboard statement. God does not want us to live in fear. Maybe that's why he tells us so often in his word to be courageous. Uh, One of the most well-loved verses on courage comes uh, from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua 1.9, where Mm -hmm. God says uh, to Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of you in the audience right now are probably saying, yeah, but Lord, you don't know my circumstance. He does. He's got it. He knows where you're at, and he's still saying to you, be courageous. And uh, this world can be driven by fear. I think that should be a distinguishing mark between the church, Jesus followers, and the world. We should be people that are fearless and courageous. And today we're going to talk about that specifically in your home uh, with Kevin Thompson today. And I think it's going to be a great discussion. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, uh, Jim. I think there's a lot of application for many of us. And Kevin is the married life pastor with Bayside Church in the Sacramento area. And he and his wife, Jenny, have two children, Ella and Silas. And he regularly meets with and counsels families and couples. And uh, he's a marriage and parenting conference speaker and has written a number of books. We're going to be talking today about fearless families, building brave homes in an uncertain world. And we've got copies of that here. Stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A in the word family. Kevin, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Great to be back here. This is the third time. It is. You're popular. trifecta. (laughs) (laughs) But it is good to have you back. And uh, when we've had you here, it's on marriage themes, family themes, obviously. This one is really interesting, your book, Fearless Families. Uh, Let's start with a broad question, something I've observed uh, with us in our parenting and in our home. And it doesn't always have to be mom. It can be dad, too. I get that. But Fear, when it rises, usually control follows right behind when you're parenting. Fear and control. And I think it is destructive to the relationship with your children, depending upon the age. I mean, obviously, your kids need control and uh, at a younger age. But those teen years, if you're fearful and that control is rising in you, you got a problem. No, and, and it makes me wonder if, because as soon as they hand you a baby, there are two feelings that immediately come to you. Exactly right. It's overwhelming love and terror. (laughs) Right. It's so true. (laughs) And maybe for the first time in your life, you feel a sense of fear that you didn't even realize that you had. And and fear, here's what I think is an important thing about fearless families. Fear in and of itself is not a bad thing. Fear can actually be a God-given gift. Think about it. If we were oh, sure. decades ago, centuries ago, if we were out on the tundra, we'd have to scan the horizon. If we saw movement in that moment, I mean, fight, flight, or flee kicks in, right? We have to figure out in that moment, what are we going to do? And that's a God-given protective nature. But here's the problem. When your wife walks in and says, we need to talk, fight, <laughs> flight, or freeze, 
is not a good response. Right. When your teenager misses curfew, mm-hmm. fight, flight, or freeze is not how we need to respond. And so while fear is a good thing, what Fearless Families is about is that far too often we have given fear the key to the car. And fear does not need to be in the driver's seat. It needs to be in the back seat where it can influence us. It can make us aware of things that we might want to be conscious of. But ultimately, love needs to be driving who we are and what we do. And yet far too many of us, especially in the home, especially parents, have given the keys to the family to fear. And now it is leading us to places we do not want to go. And here's, here's the main message, I think, of fearless families. When fear drives, it leads us to more fear. Yeah, that's good. And that's true. And it's not healthy. I mean, especially coming out of what we've come out of, the pandemic and everything, there's so much fear in the culture. We see it in our own extended families, et cetera, where there's just, you know, fear is in the driver's seat, probably more so right now than ever before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got to recapture that, especially for Christians, and get that under control. Uh, you dealt with anxiety in your own family. I want to tap on that. I mean, people are so grateful, I think, to those who are the experts who talk about their own, you know, situations and shortcomings that they've experienced. And I appreciate that about your book. What happened in your family that is an example of where fear was in the driver's seat? Yeah, so I have two children, Ella and Silas, and um, they're now in middle school, junior high, up or up in high school. But all throughout their elementary school years, I had the privilege of the elementary school was just a quarter of a mile down the road. And so it wasn't at 8 o'clock, everybody piling the car and let's go to school. It was literally, I take you by the hand and, and we walk. And, and some of the most fun times for parenting for me was that three to four minute walk mm-hmm. uh, to school every morning. Well, one morning we got up pretty typical. Ella was in sixth grade. Silas was in fourth and everything was good. Silas wasn't at the back door when I expected him to be. I yelled at him to get there. He, he didn't come. So I went to search for him thinking he'd be looking for his tennis shoes or his homework or something like that. And I couldn't find him. And, and it kind of became a little bit more panicked until finally I found him uh, kind of hiding in the corner. And I could see by the look on his face, just terror in his eyes. And and this is a straight-A student. This is a very obedient child that we've never had any problems with whatsoever. But Mm. you could tell in that moment that something was wrong. And for Jenny and I, that was day one of what was really a two-year journey of beginning to understand the anxiety that had long been going on in his life that had never really surfaced in a way that we could we could comprehend it. Looking back, we can definitely see the signs that were there, the the, the struggle with reflux growing up, the, the difficulty maybe sleeping in other places with darkness, all those things that are pretty typical with childhood. But in looking back, we can now see how he was struggling with anxiety uh, for a long time. And it wasn't probably a year later until uh, a counselor helped us and diagnosed him with what's called school refusal, uh, which is very common uh, among uh, specifically boys around the middle school age, very bright. What's happening is outwardly everything looks okay, but inwardly there's a storm that is going on until one day it finally expresses itself. And the way it expressed itself with Silas was he just didn't want to go to school. He was terrified of getting in trouble, of not keeping up with the work, even though he had never experienced any of those things. And and that really began the journey for us. And what I found very quickly as we went through that process was that his anxiety was changing our home. Mm. Our home, which had always been the place that we ran back to, which was fun and relaxing. Jenny and I both have stressful jobs. We always ran home to find safety and rest. Mm-hmm. And, and the next thing you know is we're parenting uh, in the midst of this anxiety. His anxiety is, is adding to our anxiety. And our whole home became what I ultimately called the home of the afraid. 
where everything we did was an attempt to minimize or lessen the fears either of our children or ourselves, and it simply wasn't working. And so we had to figure out what are we going to do in response to that. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess the key thing there is, you know, how did you diffuse it over time? I know you talk about the home of the afraid and the home of the brave. So how did you make that move toward in kind of building into Silas an attitude of courage? Yeah, Jim, the, that the, sounds daunting as a parent. You're overwhelmed. Yeah, the powerful moment for me came in this moment where, where Silas truly was having a, a really anxious moment and was being driven by it. And my wife was there, and, and I was there, and, and eventually Jenny looked at him and said, Silas, I know you're afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but we are not going to be ruled by your fear. We are going to love you to the best of our ability. And right there, I thought, all right, that's it. Now, it didn't solve everything in that moment, but the paradigm by which we needed to, to be led through this was right there in that statement, that we're going to feel fear, and that's okay to feel it, but we cannot make our choices based on it. Instead, we have to do the most loving action in the moment, no matter what the response is. Even if it's scary to love in that moment, that's what we have to do, knowing that love will ultimately give birth to more love, whereas fear will give more birth to more fear. Then the question becomes, which one are we going to choose in the moment? Not which one are we going to feel. It's okay to feel everything, yeah. but you can only make a choice based on one. You cannot make a choice based on love and fear at the same time. One of those are going to be in the driver's seat. We have to put love in that seat. Well, and I think through your experience and even Silas today and how he is doing, um, how does a person make that choice? How do you yeah. convince yourself to allow love to be in the driver's seat and not fear? There's a lot of fearful people. And I get it. And I like the way you express that, that fear's okay. We just need to keep it in the back seat. The question people are screaming right now is, okay, how do you do that? Yeah, and one of the very first things we have to do is we have to first recognize how fear is ruling us. And once you recognize it, then you can begin to make the conscious choices of, okay, I, I did make that decision based on fear. What would love have looked like in that circumstance? Hoping that then the next time, before you actually make the decision, you can pause in that moment and say, okay, what would love look like here? And as a family, if you go through this as a family, as a Sunday school class, as a small group, you can begin to hold each other accountable and, and to call people out over lunch uh, if you're there with your spouse to say, okay, is that decision based on fear or is it based on love? And what would love do in this circumstance? And then it literally becomes a lens by which you view everything. Yeah, yeah but that's great to contemplate that. And in all seriousness, that is wisdom. Yes. doing that. And that's great. Your grandmother taught you some wonderful lessons, I'm sure, mm -hmm. like all grandparents do. But one particular one that fits with this is her observation of giving and receiving. Yeah, it's What the, happened it's, with her? It's the difficulty of love that I think often we don't think about. So my grandmother, I've talked about him, I think, every time I've been here, by the way, is my, my grandparents. That's how influential they were in my lives. But my grandmother was 90. She was dying of cancer. She had lived 10 years longer than the lifespan, and yet she was, was uh, dying 10 years shorter than what she thought she was going to. And, and I'm in the hospital with her, and one day everybody else leaves, so it's just me and her. And she says, Kevin, this is so hard. And I, I'm like, I know, and, and dying is difficult. And she goes, no, it's not the dying. She said, it's having all these nurses wait on me. That's so difficult. <laughs> you know, if I had to describe our church uh, just into two basic concepts of what we're trying to do, we're trying to learn how to be loved and to love, to be loved by God and to love him in return, to love one another and to be loved in return. 
that was really what my grandmother was struggling with. Having been a Christian for 80 years, she was struggling in that moment to actually receive love. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. You've taken their homework, their lunch, and even their trombone to them. Kids forget, but don't let them forget their Bible. Thursday, October 7th is Bring Your Bible to School Day across the nation. Encourage your kids to carry their Bible and empower them with Joshua 1.9. To be strong and courageous. Teach them to let God's Word be honored, held, and heard, and never forgotten. Have your voice heard. Sign up at bringyourbible.org. Find fun for your kids just a click away. And now, Adventures in Odyssey. The Adventures in Odyssey Club, where your 8 to 12-year-old can find trusted, faith-building entertainment in a safe online club. It features almost every episode ever, plus special monthly club-only episodes and content, and a Focus on the Family Clubhouse magazine subscription. Sign up today. Just go to aioclub.org radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Kevin, you make the case in the book that fearless families keep up appearances. Um, Boy, I can make that connection. Uh, You then say fearless families honor the truth, and that's rooted in integrity. So in this context, what does integrity look like, and how do you get there? Yeah, I think the great temptation for us is we, we want to fake it till we'll make it. And so we think we're going to project an outward righteousness. I mean, this goes all the way back to the Pharisees. It goes all the way back in the Old Testament law. Well, that's right. It's the we're, heart of man. No, that's exactly right. So we are going to project a persona of having it all together, of strength, of power. That goes all the way back in part to the idea of survival of the fittest. Let's face it. What society says is you don't show a limp if you're among the herd, because you're going to be the weakest link and you're going to get attacked. And we have uh, wedded that into our Christian thought to where now we Christianize it and we project a Christian persona not really caring what the truth actually is, honestly believing if we can fake it till we make it, then one day we'll have our heart right. That is a dangerous way to do church. It is a dangerous way to do marriage, to do parenting, to do family. Would you say, can I ask, though, you know, this is a journey of sanctification, and you can rest there, and that's the problem. You don't want to settle for spiritual mediocrity, right? You don't want to just be okay. You want to be improving in your relationship with the Lord and therefore seeing it in your own behavior in a steady, progressive, positive way in your relationship with Christ, right? No, absolutely, but, but the key to that is truth. Right. Here's the difference between what we're talking about. So, so whenever I talk about, in the book, I contrast the home of the afraid with the home of the brave. So the home of the afraid is driven by fear. And as fear drives you, we then build and lean on these very natural tools that we think will lessen that fear. And I think about back in second grade, whenever the teacher would say, draw a house, it would be a very simple stick figure house. There'd be a floor, there'd be a roof, there'd be two walls. That's what I think of. So the home of the afraid is built on the foundation now of safety. We've taken a good thing, safety, is it going to be safe for us? That's a good thing but we've idolized it. We made it a God thing. And now we are chasing after something that we cannot fully control. Drive as slowly as you want to drive. That does not guarantee that you won't be in the car wreck. Eat as healthy as you want to eat. That does not guarantee that you won't have diabetes. Now, we can choose to do those things and it can lessen 
our, our possibility, but it doesn't guarantee it. And we have taken safety, which is a good thing, and now idolized it to make it the foundation upon which the modern home is built. And even the modern church is built. But think about this. How many times did Jesus ever say, is it safe? <laughs> I can't think of one. He never did. <laughs> right. Now, that doesn't mean he's asking us to do foolish things. But safety is not the ultimate thing for God. Instead, the home of the brave, now driven by love, is built on a different foundation. While safety is, is considered, it's built on the foundation of trust. Trust in God, his love for us, his sovereign control over our lives, and then a, a budding trust in one another. We're learning what it means to be trustworthy, which means this, this concept of integrity is so important. I have to make sure that Jenny has a right to trust me. She has to make sure that she has a right uh, for me to trust her. But it's a different way that we're operating out of life. And so that, that home of the afraid and the home of the brave, it's built on the foundation of either safety or trust. And then it's underneath a roof of appearance. When fear drives us, we find safety in appearances. We're not going to really let people know about that addiction. We're not going to let them know about that grief, about that struggle. We're going to pretend as though we have it all together out of fear of thinking if they find out, they might use that against us. They might manipulate us. They, they might look down on us in some way. Yeah. But when love drives us, instead of using the, the roof of appearances, we now live underneath the roof of the heart. The writer of Proverbs will say, above all else, guard your heart. Keep your heart. It's like the father now saying to the son, the most important thing in life is going to be your heart. And when you and I, in marriage, when in parenting, in church, in life, when we put our hearts fully on the table and say, okay, here's who we are. Now, God, change us, transform us. Miraculous things begin to occur. But for as long as you and I are living with a facade, God's not going to change that. Yeah, I mean, that is well said. That's so true. Uh, Kevin, many people collect things or possessions and use that. Um, I think they make themselves feel better, obviously. I appreciate a toaster. I don't know about you, John, but <laughs> I you. like my toast toasted. Um, so there are things, conveniences in this modern world that are great that I don't think twice about replacing, whether that's the coffee machine, the toaster, the dishwasher. Those are all pretty good things. Where does that cross a line in materialism where we as the Christian community need to recognize that we're medicating through the acquiring of stuff. Exactly. So the home of the, the afraid is built on two walls. So it's the foundation of safety under the roof of appearances. And the two walls that we tend to lean on to lessen our fears are that of materialism and power. And the reality is that fear now drives us to do these two things, whereas love would say we need the walls now of relationship and submission. So the contrast here of materialism is we are going to relate to something. We, we are created to connect with other people. Now, created in the image of God, ultimately to connect with him. And yet when sin entered the world, relationships became dangerous. Suddenly, this person that I'm supposed to connect with could hurt me, could injure me, could kill me. And so we, we still have this basic need to connect with things outside of ourselves. And yet the thing that we're supposed to connect with is a danger. So we turn to material things. Because a new car does not hurt my feelings. Uh, a nice golf club Ooh, uh, now you're hurting me. <laughs> does, uh, does not now in any way threaten me. Uh, a new house does not create vulnerability within me. A and not only that, material things, what does it do? It adds to our appearances. Let's hit a little more in depth on the other wall, that idea of power. 
craving power that seems to be kind of at the root of so much of the ills that human beings face. Speak to that and define it. Yeah, and, and power now contrasting with submission. And, and I understand the, the difficulty of that word submission in our society. We're living in a time right now where many uh, of our past ills and, and failures are coming to light, and rightfully so. And, and how especially in a Christian world, people have used the submission to hold people down and to do ungodly things. And yet the basic concept is still alive. Ultimately, we all need to submit to God first and foremost. And then we're learning how to submit to one another in, in workplaces, in leadership, uh, in marriage, in, in family. My kids all the time. I submit to my kids all the time. Now, let me ask you, because some people, you're right, they have a very uh, dark sense of what submission is. Speak to them directly. I mean, when you talk about submitting to your kids, what? Are you kidding, Kevin? That's backwards. That's upside down. Those are going to be permissive children. They're going to walk all over you. What do you mean by that kind of biblical submission in a way of leadership, really? Yeah, apart from love, submission makes no sense whatsoever. So in a sin-filled world, apart from Jesus without grace, you should never submit to anything. You should grab hold to as much power as you possibly can, because if you don't, somebody else will take it from you, and then they will use it against you. But... When we believe in Jesus and we begin to submit ourselves to his sovereign control, to his plan over our lives, to the idea that the way of love is better than the way of fear, then the next thing you know, whoever wants to find his life must lose it. Suddenly, it's husbands, wives, submit to one another, respect and love one another. It is even this concept of we have some basic house rules around our house that if I violate them, my child gets to call me out on that rule and I have to submit to them in that moment because there is a higher authority that I report to. I'm not in charge of this house. God is. And if my child wants to call me out that I'm disobeying God, he has that right in that moment. I have to submit in love uh, to what's going on. But we live in such a dangerous world that we honestly believe that if we don't have the control, and maybe that's a better word, maybe that's a better word for a lot of people, that power, we don't see power, we think we don't have any power, the government has power, my boss has power, I don't have any power. Yeah, but what about control? And we think that as long as we control our lives, that we know we won't do it perfectly, We think that we will do it better than anybody else can, and that will at least minimize or negate some of our fears. But the reality is the more we try to grasp hold of control, the more terrified we're going to become. Power leads to paranoia. I mean, that's the long history of humanity. I'm thinking in the context of parenting, parenting teenagers. I mean, you try control, Hmm. and you're going to end up with distant kids, and they're going to go in a direction you don't want to go. One of my favorite stories to, to really put this into perspective is consider Christmas. So a young couple grows up, they, they get married, and now they're going to have their first holiday season together. And so they come up with a plan of how they're going to do that. They're going to spend Thanksgiving at her place and Christmas at his, and <laughs> right. the next year they're going to flip. And, and so it's a great plan in that moment. But along the way, at some point, the, the wife thinks to herself, you know, one day we're going to have kids, and eventually I'm going to want them to spend Christmas morning at, at our house where they're mm. growing up. And the husband and wife talk about that. They're like, oh, okay, that, that'll be great. Well, the kids come along, and they're starting to get to that time, and the wife is bringing it up, and the husband's like, okay. And so finally they hit the year that this is the year. Man, my kids are old enough. They're five. They're six. I want them to have these memories. But this is the year they're supposed to go to his parents for Christmas. And so all year long she's saying, hey, call your mom. Let her know that this is the year. And, and so he finally calls his mom, and his mom in that moment says, How, well, think about it. His mom in that moment, how should the conversation go? 
It should be, oh, I'm so disappointed, but I understand. New traditions can be formed. We'll find a better time. You need to do what's right. If you put your wife on the phone, I want to encourage her, thank her for taking care of my grandchildren. No, 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 no. Let's move to control and manipulation. <laughs> How does that conversation go? <laughs> yeah. What? But, How could you hurt us like this that? this is my Christmas. <laughs> yeah. this, this could be grandma's last Christmas. You think about in that well, moment. That's true. What the mom is thinking in that moment is, if I don't control this right, Christmas isn't going to be everything that Christmas can be. And fear now tempts her to use power to manipulate with the intention of it's going to be for everybody's best. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it fractures the family. Love would be such a better way. And you're answering that question that really ultimately is, what is the better way? And you've said it um, repeatedly here today. And this has been so good, Kevin. I hope people can uh, really grab on to living life in in a different way so that it brings them peace, Mm -hmm. right? This is the shalom we talk about, and uh, rather than chaos. And when you're living in fear and control and those other things, living in sin, really, uh, your life's going to be chaotic. Your relationships are going to be chaotic, starting with your spouse and then your kids, and then you keep moving. And I so appreciate uh, what you've done here in Fearless Families to draw out these perspectives that really help you mature in your faith in Christ, which is your goal, I know. And we don't do it perfectly, but what a great roadmap you have created here for others. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, is that last question, is there anything you would add to that parent, that spouse that's listening right now? It's you, maybe. And you're saying, Hmm. you guys are talking exactly where I live right now. What are the one, two, or three things they could do to lasso, if I can use that imagery, to get a grip on that fear and become a brave household and not a fearful household. Fear is going to tempt you to feel guilty about it and do nothing about it. Love is going to drive you to action. And the simple action is this. Maybe it, maybe it's the book. Maybe you just rewatch this interview. But you get in your head the concept of I'm going to start diagnosing fear and replacing it with love. And I'm going to have somebody else hold me accountable to that. And together we are going to grow into that understanding. Consider two of the most often repeated phrases of Jesus in the New Testament are, fear not, love one another. Let's do that. Man, that is a great admonition. Thank you, Kevin, for being with us. It's been great. Get a copy of Fearless Families from us here at Focus on the Family. Of course, when you do, it helps us to do ministry. So you get a a twofer, right? You're you're getting some uh, great content and a resource to help you. And then you're also helping other families. So you can do that either through becoming a monthly uh, sustainer here at Focus on the Family. John and I do that with our wives. And uh, it really works. It helps us balance our budget throughout the year. Or a one-time gift. If you can't make a monthly commitment, we get that. Uh, But a one-time gift is great. And we'll send you a copy of Kevin's book, Fearless Families, as our way of saying thank you. Get in touch today. Donate as you can and request that book by Kevin. And I might add, Jim, we have some really terrific, caring Christian counselors here. And it may be that as a listener, you need to talk to someone and kind of unpack where you're at right now in your journey. If so, let us know. We'll schedule a consultation. It's free, and uh, they'll direct you to other helpful resources as well. It all begins with a phone call to 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.